AntiUp is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But AntiUp is much more than a magazine. Visit AntiUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. AntiUp, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's July 26, 2019. You're listening to the best poker cast on the interwebs. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. So what's going on, buddy? Uh, I wonder if you had any feeling uh, that you were going to win anything this week while you were out there. I don't. Did we talk about that in the show last week that you might actually win something? And you might have. I, I would say I'm on a pretty good hot streak now. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about what you're talking about first. I mean, second, but first, uh, I don't know if you remember, but the, the show before the Heads Up tournament last year, I was on time for it, and I was not feeling well. <laughs> Yeah, I remember. Because Ben and Matt Savage took me out yep. for, for a steak and stuff and went to Top Golf, and then I was a mess, and then I struggled through the Heads Up event, right? So that whole scenario was going to happen again last night, and then we decided not to go to Top Golf. So I woke up clean, fresh, clear headed, and ready to uh, get uh, beat the normal way in the Heads Up Championship <laughs> today. So, so I consider all this a win to begin with before I even. Uh, Go on with the rest of the show. I'm, I'm really sorry, but I have this mental image of you swinging a golf club, which is really bad, and then Pretty. swinging a golf club drunk. <laughs> I don't know. That that must be just pure comic. Actually, no. Actually, I, I used to I used to have a golf membership uh, right around Grand Trafalgar College. Uh, me and my buddy used to play every day, so uh, I'm not as bad as you might think. All I just right. played a lot lately. Um, it's funny, at Top Golf, it kind of comes back to you a little bit, so at least in Top Golf, I can get a... I can get a swing off and and uh, not slice it, but um, hitting those uh, far targets oh, it's not going to happen. So in the um, <laughs> partner draft, I, I'm the the little fat kitty in the Kit Kat bar and the bleachers. <laughs> you were supposed to be getting one of those top golfs too, like in St. Pete around there in 2020. Yeah, or I mean yeah. they're they're staggering to see when you drive by. And in fact, actually, I hadn't seen the one in Vegas until uh, the trip uh, last month, and it's hilarious to see it in Vegas because Vegas is so compact, right? And then yeah. you ride. Being like, whoa, because you can't miss a top golf because the uh, four story high um, nets all around it and everything. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but fun place, uh, licensed print money. We shouldn't invest in that instead of the Zanny up thing. What, but, are we, what are we doing? Yeah, I know. It's crazy. All right, anyhow, <coughs> I am still out here at uh, Thunder Valley Casino Resort near Sacramento, California. We are heading into the final action packed weekend of the Anny Up World Championships. And uh, it's been a lot of fun since the last week. Uh, come up uh, this weekend, the 1650 buy-in, two-flight, $500,000 guaranteed main event is Friday through Sunday. Last year, it topped 700000 in the prize pool. This year, we're hoping it tops 800000 We'll see what happens. Uh, today is the head-to-head championship, as I mentioned. And uh, just to let you all know, uh, and this is not even a made-up stat. This is a true stat. The last three champions have had to beat me. Beat you, yeah, that's right. Thing. So... Yeah. Uh, I got that going for me. I got no money out of the last three years. But what happens if you don't enter? There's not a winner. 
That's true. I actually entered a couple days ago because uh, every year it sells out a little bit earlier. Like the, I think four years ago, um, it didn't sell out. Uh, three years ago, we got down to like we had one buy, I think, in it. And then last year it sold out before the morning of. And then lots of people drove up in the morning and got all upset about it. So this year, uh, uh, there's already talk on Twitter that people weren't going to make that same mistake. So yeah. I'd be shocked if it's not already sold out. But we'll find out <laughs> why get down there for breakfast this year which i missed last year because i wasn't feeling well so. <laughs> um and then of course tonight is our champions reception where we get to see all of our annual poker tour champions uh, from their year um dining on free food and drinking free wine and uh, hanging out with uh, ben Irwin, the great director of poker here matt savage and some other fun people so uh that's going to be a lot of fun and then sunday this year has some great options for players who bust uh, who either busted the main event or skipped it a 235 big 08 and we did confirm yesterday it's 08 so yeah gambit's gonna love it yeah um and a 1100 hour bounty event with 500 hour bounties that's gonna be pretty crazy that's as well. huge so um so yeah so even if you don't make it the day two of the main uh, lots going on starting today here at thunder valley um the 400 buy-in monolith paid 60k to the winner i love these big price pools for these small buy-in events that's awesome that's just awesome and the uh, 235 action eight uh, would have paid more than 20k to the winner uh, if they had not chopped um so again another nice big payday for just 235 bucks um and as you mentioned i did uh, win the horse event uh, and final table the omaha eight stud eight event uh did not cash in that though that was frustrating but uh but yes i get my second horse title here at thunder valley and actually when I look back at my first title at the Antioch world championship ever what yeah i know right so you won the horse at uh, NorCal last North, time? Oh, North, okay. I thought I did, and that made a lot more sense to me. And I, that one I wasn't surprised about, but I went back and looked them on the head and mob, and I actually uh, I, I went on that heater one year where I won like three events, and by three I mean we chopped, and I had the ship lead for all three, right? So, right, right. And that must those are all NorCal's. Um, so I must have been not running very good, uh, or running good enough to be good but not enough to cash <laughs> now, so I, I got that off uh, off the back now so uh, that was fun I'll talk about that in a little bit um, uh, but first the Omaha 8 event uh, where I really thought I was my, my continual run bad here was <laughs> played that entire tournament Chris and uh, won one hand uh, which is the hand before I went out <laughs> and tell me this isn't the quintessential omaha eight hand right so i get it all in i forget my other two cards but a seven and a five flop a straight uh by the time all the betting's done and everybody else still in there's a flush possibility and a paired board so i'm getting up putting on my jacket i don't have my jacket put on but you know if i had a jacket (laughs) right and uh flip over the cards chopped the high three ways with the 7-5. So not only did the 7-5 survive somehow, but two other idiots had it as well, too. So I got a third of the high, and those other two folks split the low. So five, the pot split five ways, and I got one-fifth of it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then went out on the next hand. Isn't that the most classic Omaha 8 hand you've ever heard? That's insane. And it's, it was a 7-5 of all hands. Yes, yes. It wasn't even like, you know, a flush beat a bigger flush beaten by a boat, which usually happens. Right. Too. Three crappy hands split in the high and two crappy hands split in the low. And oh, man. One fifth and then get knocked out. So oh, I thought that was going to be uh, portend the um, 
the entire trip. But the horse was a different story. Uh, probably the most complete tournament ever I've ever played. I uh, I was never below my starting stack. Um, it was more than double um, at each color up, and I got the final table. I was second in chips, and with uh, five, four or five left, I had seventy percent of the chips in play. So Holy cow. It was I was just steamrolling, getting good cards and playing well. And then, of course, uh, I knocked out uh, two players at the final table on one hand, which was always nice to do. Uh, I think I knocked out two of the other players, and then um, Sam, the other guy that ended up chopping with me, took out the rest. And because he took out on late, uh, by the time he took out the last player, we looked over, and I had just a few more chips than he did. So we were both sitting on, like, 360000 and had we uh, not played it out, the tournament already, that was eight and a half hours into the tournament, by the way, for a $160 horse. Wow. So quality play here at Thunder Valley for that. Um, and he's like, hey, we can play it out if you want, but I'm happy to chop. And I'm like, I see no reason for us to play it out when we are both at 360,000 chips. We could be here all night. Yeah. Um, so we uh, decided to, to chop. I asked him, hey, what are we going to do with the title and the photo? And he's like, let's play one more hand. And I'm like, all right, I'll do that. And he's like, what do you want to play? And we've been talking the entire final table about how much we're the only people that like Raz, right? Yeah. So I'm like, it has to be Raz. So he's like, all right. So we played one hand to Raz with the title and uh, won that. So Hey, so. you made like a decent hand, too, like an 8-6 or something. Yeah, yeah. I just kept getting better as he kept turning the cards over. We did it all face up. We didn't just squeeze. Like, right, right. We probably should have squeezed. The dealer, I think, was excited to get out of the box there. <laughs> cards at us. But, um, but, yeah, it was a lot of fun to, to actually put together an entire tournament where you just felt really good. Um, there was one point where I... I probably spewed off one chips in one hand, and then I was like doing what I do on the show, where I'm like, "All right, so you're just gonna have to go and lick your wounds and tell yourself that was a mistake, right?" Right. And uh, so I did that. I'm like, "All right, I, I can't, uh, I can't get sloppy with this big chip stack," and I didn't after that. And then even at the final table, which was amazing, we had a guy that showed up with two bigs, and he finished third. Wow. He made. Uh, six pay jumps uh, by just being patient. We had another guy that was down to one big in study eight with an ace showing and folded um, to the bring-in. Wow. And then moved up two pay spots to finish third. Um, so, you know, you, you do have to be disciplined there. And uh, so the, the guy with the two blinds that moved up five pay spots was just now my hero. That was amazing. That's I mean, crazy. It was like a $600 bump <laughs> in a little $160 tournament by just being patient, right? Yeah. At one point, uh, I folded um, the second, second nut low to a guy, and I'm like, I know this is super tight, and the, the guy that made the bet was like, wow, that is like really super tight. And I'm like, yeah, it's all right, it's all right. And just not spewing chips. And then I um, uh, raised on a study against the bring-in and took it down. And I had a decent hand, and the, this, this other guy was like, you should be doing that every hand with a chip stack like that. No one can no one can beat you. And I'm like, yeah, they can if you start open raising with everything. Yeah. So we'll talk about that a little later in the uh, Scott's Horse class later in the That's the, the beauty of a limit tournament, too, is you can, you know what I mean, you, you, you can survive on something like that whereas no limit you're always saying oh, I gotta shove any two cards that are decent or whatever and you usually end up losing the race or whatever this is a, a testament to uh, to patience too that's just phenomenal yeah and I'll tell you um, I, I, I hope our government does not continue um, to tra- uh, traffic and um, torture uh, waterboarding anything like that uh, but if they do I'm going to suggest making terrorists play split nothing but split pot games <laughs> <laughs> might be more effective 
um, because yesterday in the, in the limit eight, uh, the Omaha eight stud eight, so everything's split pot, right? There's no like hold them where you hope they can get it in, um, or Raz or stud where you can hope you know really um, triple quadruple up by winning the whole pot, right? Um, you know, and I I had uh, got to the the hand before the final table, I was in good shape. Uh, missed all my draws, of course, which happens. Very first hand of the um, final table, ace, deuce, tray four, two lows on the flop, and a flush draw, and <laughs> missed everything, oh. and now it's down to uh, um, less than one big blind. Uh, that's just how quickly it happens. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And uh, got it in on the next hand, and um, got a piece of the pot. <laughs> got it on the next hand, got a piece of the pot, and it's just it's like it's slow torture, right? Because yeah. eventually you get it in, and um, and I flopped three pair, and uh, everybody had flushes and boats and all kinds of other stuff, and got knocked out. So it just delayed the inevitable. But, but it's okay. Today yeah. you're going to win the heads up. Yes. Let's see. I have made it to the final eight, and then screwed up, and I should have made it to the final four. So. That's my high water mark now is to make it the not screw up and make it at least the final four. So well, we'll check in with you next week. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, all right. Some of our listeners did well too. Uh, Asa Kanarka, uh, Kaniko uh, came all the way from Hawaii to finish third in that Limit Omaha Eight event that I flamed out spectacularly. Didn't get a chance to meet him, but he did uh, send us a Facebook message saying how much fun he had. Um, and of course, finishing third is always fun. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Then uh, Cameron Petch uh, has won two events and is in the Hunt for the Player of the Year series. I actually haven't checked this morning. He was uh, in the um, Omaha 8 Study uh, event with me yesterday when I sat down, and uh, he was shorter than me at the final table, but I got it in first and got knocked out of ninth, and he was still holding on because he needed to cash to get more Player of the Year points. Yeah. Uh, making the final table wasn't good enough. He actually had to cash, and uh, so he might have been able to cash in that and take over the lead. He was number two. Going into uh, when I left him yesterday, well, we lost out of the action eight that finished with a couple players in the hunt. So haven't checked this morning to see what the uh, the standings look like, but uh, he was very very excited, um, and so hopefully he can pull it out. So that's pretty cool, uh, cool. to meet the new folks that listen to you. So yeah, very cool. I like they're like, hey, you're uh, you're that. Uh, I, I get a couple of things. I get, hey, you're that Annie Up guy. Yeah. And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess I'm one of them, but they're <laughs> 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 like, hey. You're from uh, Annie Up, right? You're Scott, right? And I'm like, yep, because Chris doesn't travel. So, good guess. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So, uh, obviously, a lot of our old friends are out here, which is a lot of fun. I'll see some more of them tonight. Uh, but uh, all these new friends, pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's, I'm always shocked when there's someone who comes up to you or me and says, hey, you're from Annie Up Poolcast. I'm like, really? You know that? <laughs> you know, I'm always shocked. So, and especially when they're seeking you out and going to our tournaments, it's always a great thing. Well, it's proof that people still listen to the show, too. Mm. So it's the same uh, four people that have been it listening. But yeah, same, same yeah. Same I think we're up to six now. Yes, exactly. Uh, and the last thing I want to mention, too, because I've uh, been coming out here to Thunder Valley now for um, seven years now. Our first event here was November 2012. So it's crazy to think about that, right? Yeah. Um, and you know when I'm out here, I actually uh, like playing poker, like hanging on the poker room, saying hi to folks. But uh, when you're out here for two or three weeks at a time, you know, you need to get off property and have some fun. Um and uh, so this year, I'm like, and I've been coming out here so long now, I thought I've done everything that Sacramento has to offer, right? Um, but I found some new stuff this year, so I just wanted to mention it. So if people were out there like, eh, Sacramento, I don't know if I want to come to Sacramento. Um, 
what else is there to do besides play poker? And uh, so I'm finding some new cool stuff. So, um, you know, this is a new the last couple of years. I've been a member of the Michael David Wynn Club because we have great wineries here. You think of Napa Valley, but actually just about an hour south here in the Lodi. Mm-hmm. Fantastic wines. So uh, there is some wine stuff to be doing uh, here if you want. Uh, but uh, last week I did. I went to the racetrack, Chris, and not the horse or dog track, but the actual – drive left racetrack nearby here and they had trailer racing have you heard of this yes yes everyone's heard of it i have not heard of it (laughs) i can't believe you haven't heard of it but it was phenomenal um definitely worth the 10 bucks to get in to watch these people drive these uh ugly boats around and smash into them so uh, of course you have to sit through 47 real races to get to that one which i didn't know makes sense now but Rookie mistake, but so that's out here. And then I was also like bumbling around on Google, and I uh, found out they have a car museum here, and I love cars. And then not only that, but on um, every Sunday they do classic car rides, which you get to ride around town in them. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then the third, I think it's the third Sunday every month, they have amphicars, they're called. What they are they called? These things in the '60s, only in the '60s, and they're cars that you just drive right into the water, and they pick up a boat. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, like the amphibious. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I've heard about before, and people think of the big duck boats too that are still operating. Right, but this right. is different; these are like personal cars, right? Yeah, and, uh, and they uh, those are free rides for that too. So you can take a little free ride in a classic car from the um, museum to the uh, marina, get out, and then jump in one of these amphicars, and then you get to go for like a little cruise around the river. It was super cool. Wow. All for ten bucks. So, uh, lots of things to do here in Sacramento besides hang out at the fantastic Thunder Valley Casino Resort and uh, play poker. So, if you haven't made it out this year, please uh, consider putting us on the schedule uh, for next year. I already got the preliminary schedule for next year, and um, it's looking pretty good. So, um, a lot of the same stuff, but a couple of little twists that are going to make it interesting. I think. So, obviously, we have eleven months before uh, that kicks off, but it's nice to know that uh, Ben's already thinking ahead and. Um, so should be a great series again next year. Absolutely. So. All right. Uh, what a roller coaster case. Uh, uh, the case against two Houston poker clubs has been. First, they were shut down. Millions of dollars seized and several assets. Uh, several arrests were made. <laughs> assets. I'm going to arrest your ass. <laughs> we're going to give you a pass. It's 720 out there. So. <laughs> <laughs> and several arrests were made of human beings. Uh, all under the assumption that the clubs were doing what uh, they said they were doing. Then came claims that the charges were much worse, and now all charges have been dropped against Prime Social Poker Club and Post Oak Poker Club. Houston's district attorney dropped the charges, citing possible conflicts of interest among witnesses, and turned all evidence over to the FBI. So uh, what we don't know now is whether the FBI is going to find something there, but it certainly doesn't seem like it um, now that they've kind of gone through the evidence again and essentially have told us that uh, what they shut us shut them down for is exactly what they were openly saying they were doing yeah, so yeah. it does not seem like something that i think that the fbi is going to be too excited about uh could be wrong so i guess we'll see in the woods yet but um uh, but uh at least the prime social club said they were going to be opening up shortly uh, i have not heard uh whether the post oak will but i imagine they will as well too so what a uh, weird and unfortunate blight on poker that this whole scenario has been it is it's sad and and i it's it's doesn't pass the smell test with me, to be honest with you. I, even the whole, oh, it's conflict of interest stuff. That you know what I mean. It just seems like 
either they're going with their tail between their legs and they knew they didn't have a case, so they're finding a reason to drop it. I don't know what it is, but just it doesn't pass the smell test, the excuses they're giving. And turning it over to FBI, I agree with you. I think that nothing's going to come of it. I, I feel bad for these clubs, and I wonder if they have some sort of uh, repercussions now that they can uh, force the... Yeah, of course. Yeah, because, I mean, I mean, they lost thousands of dollars for no reason at all. Yeah, and uh, reputation is um, in, in permanently harmed, I would imagine. Um, so, I mean, it's again, like I said, maybe the FBI will come in next week, and next week, and next week, we'll show it. Hey, yet another twist. Yeah, <laughs> I doubt it, though. I doubt it. I do too. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very unfortunate. I mean, it's a tough thing because you know I'm kind of a big fan of law enforcement. I think they get a, a bad rap for a lot of things. Um, certainly there are a lot of bad apples that deserve to be criticized. And in a lot of ways, I kind of see law enforcement as, as poker. You know, we talk about this on the show that um, all it takes is a couple of D-gen poker players to make the rest of us look bad, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's the same thing in law enforcement. A couple of bad cops make all all cops look bad. So it's kind of incumbent on us as uh, poker podcasters and publishers to kind of call out the bad bad apples in poker and not just defend them right right it's the same thing i think with law enforcement um to you know root out those bad ones um to make sure that the good ones aren't um uh harmed by what the bad ones do so um but it it did this definitely um seemed like an overreach here and um that's just unfortunate because when you're law enforcement you get to do that overreach and then you know, obviously, I wouldn't say the worst thing that happens is uh, the case gets dropped because you can get sued and lose a lot of money. So there is a worst case scenario. But um, but if you're at that other end of the cop, uh, <laughs> you know, you can't resist. You know, I mean, you just got to go through the process and hope it works out. And eventually it did. See, for now, it's worked out for these clubs. But working out doesn't seem like it really worked out, right? No, it doesn't seem like there's a. Uh, an evenness to this, if that's the word. I mean, there's no way they're ever going to be able to recoup and be made whole again from this entire uh, situation. Uh, I mean, it's good news, but it's good news that happened that shouldn't have had to have happened. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. But, yeah, I'm just glad we can move on, and hopefully they'll be back into the mix again and and, uh, start to uh, recover some of the losses. Yeah. All right, uh, Carnegie Mellon University's poker playing machine, Pluribus, continues to turn heads, this time hastily beating Darren Elias and Chris Ferguson over a series of games and then winning the equivalent of $1,000 an hour, slightly better than my Omaha 8 rate, <laughs> uh, from a group of 13 poker pros with more than $1 million in lifetime earnings in a series of six-handed matches. The bots proved adept at changing the changing strategies necessary to win a Texas Hold'em, including donk betting, at a rate higher than the pros, including Elias, uh, uh, to say the uh, leading uh, Elias to say the computer is making the move in a perfectly random way that humans are unable to do. Uh, so, a couple of scary things here. One, uh, this is just proof the computers are going to own us all, like soon, like yeah. five years from now. Yeah. <laughs> so, enjoy these next five years, folks. Um, but two, I did this perfectly random way, right? I mean, let's go back all the way to Dan Harrington, right? Wasn't he the one that said, the you know, game, you look at the way your watches, yeah. you know, and because uh, the the essence of that um, strategy is that you're human and you can't be trusted to be perfectly random. So you have to have something that has no heart <laughs> to remind you how to be random. Yeah. 
And uh, of course, these computers, you know, have no idea what emotions are. So that's all they know as perfectly random. So, um, so in some sense, it, it's refreshing to see that this perfectly random actually does work. Um, and then as players, this is a great way for us to prove our game. If we can find a way to be truly perfectly random or as close as humans can be. Uh, the scary thing is that uh, I might come home and my home is going to own me now because it's connected to the internet. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty scary. I mean, it's scary in that you know it's another thing that poker is going to have to overcome for the trust factor. You know, when you if, if for the online poker, I'm saying. So if if you have an right. online site now, how do you know there's not? I mean, obviously the Carnegie Mellon University. Pluribus is like this massive thing that people aren't going to be able to afford to put in their bedrooms to be able to play against you. But eventually, that technology might be there. There might be an app or a program that is that sophisticated. And you got to wonder, you know, I mean, who am I playing against? And that's that's scary. That's terrible. Yeah, and I would think of a uh, computer that powerful logged into the new Pen- Pennsylvania poker sites that uh, eventually, um, or very quickly, somebody would realize that one player is winning everything. Yeah. So it's going to be short run. So I don't know. That That's actually the – if I want to become the Joker or the Penguin in this Batman story here, <laughs> you know, like that if you're trying to cheat, the, the challenge isn't winning now. The challenge is covering your tracks to yeah. make it look, you know, the whole um, Worm McDermott thing, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um. Uh, so in some sense, that's kind of cool to think about. While still not cool at all to think about. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, uh, computers are pretty powerful. So yeah, I mean, yeah. We've come a long way since war games, where you use the uh, pop top from the tab to make a phone call from the payphone, <laughs> which is totally bogus. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not Master Broderick. That guy was smart. <laughs> Uh, Any updates? The schedule for the Any Up Poker Tour at Atlantis Casino Resort Spot in Reno, Nevada, August 15th to 25th has been announced. The schedule features 19 events with 350K in guarantees and an $1,100 main event that will land the winner on the cover of Any Up. Other unique events include Seniors, Battle of the Ages, Kitchen Sink, and 8-Game Mix. For all the details, visit AnnieUpMagazine.com slash Atlantis and book your room by August 1st for the best rates and selection. And all players who make the final table of this weekend's World Championship main event will get a free hotel night for the Atlantis series. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us to podcast at AnnieUpMagazine.com. And if they haven't won something from the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. All right, this comes from Matt Bodorf. And I have to say, I don't believe that you're taking this seriously. I am. Actually, I am. Uh, I, I, I could because you were not. So I, I, I'm pretty sure Matt Bodorf was busting my chops with an email, uh, but, but you, you uh, seem to take it seriously. He says, I have a request to devote the entire show discussing the two-time horse champion Scott Long. Yes, yes. Yes, we are not de- dedicating an entire show to Scott Long. His head's already big enough. We gotta... Yeah, hold, hold on. I can't hear. My ears are pressed against yeah. the windows here yeah, and the door right. in the room. There. I, I'm not going to be able to get out today. He's going to look like uh, Mardi Gras, you know. Mardi Gras, you mean Macy's Day? Oh, uh, well, I don't know, but I just think your head is going to be so big. It's going to be like I don't know. What do they call those? Yeah, the big heads, the big heads in Mardi Gras, aren't those big heads they walk oh, yeah. around with? Yeah, they're bigger than Macy's Day. Anyway, uh, he said you can do five different hand breakdowns, one from each game in the horse event. I would like to concentrate on keys to success and secrets to winning horse events. Well, just just so you know, before Scott chimes in, <laughs> I happen to be like one hand away from the final table of a World Series of Poker circuit horse event with 190 players in it. Just That's just, true. just so you know. That's true. Yeah, and that was true. years so, ago. 
do not have a title, let alone two. So <laughs> back to me with you. Okay, well, back to you now. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, I like you. I do think uh, Matt was uh, serious. He, he and I have been texting the last couple of days. <clears throat> uh, but obviously, we can't do a show like that as, as fun as it would be. And we have um, devoted in the archives. We go way back to the Al Capone vault where we keep our archives. Uh, lots of uh, shows on uh, the different events in horse and probably yeah. a couple of shows on horse, right? Yeah. So yeah. we have done some of this in the past. I mean, it was before I was a two-time champion and before you were a one step away from a final <laughs> table at one event in one day, one place. So um, so we are better at it now. Oh, man, you made me snort. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, um, I'll be on the record that, no, it would not be fun to do that show. So... As fun as it would be for you, it would be pure torture for me. You have to throw that in there with split pot games for terrorists. <laughs> um, uh, but what I – oh, my God, now you got me happy. Sorry. Um, but uh, what, I, uh, what I did think we could do today is um, – oh, before I die. Um, just a couple quick uh, tips on tournament management in horse. So uh, obviously there's a lot of resources out there for you to learn all these games if you haven't played it before. Uh, so go do that. But um, one of the things I've really learned playing all the horse tournaments I have is really winning these tournaments comes down to more managing the tournament than they do your individual skill in the game. So obviously you got to know how to play these games. It's funny how many people enter these things and have no idea. Like yesterday was a limit Omaha 8 stud 8, and there were three players who had never played stud 8 before. I'm like, it's half the tournament. Yeah. And I'm like, and you know how to play Omaha 8, so it's not terribly different. It's the same concept, right? Just different cards. But anyhow, um, but I, I think the, really the key, there's a, there's three big points that I think if you really look at tournament management, that if you focus on these things, um, you, you've got a better chance, a uh, fighting chance to get a little bit farther in the event than other folks that don't. So one is uh, skip Hold'em, pretend like Hold'em doesn't even exist. Um, I went to school with him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're from Connecticut. Everybody's named Skip up Everybody's there. Everybody's named right? Skip up there. That's right. Or PJ or Squid or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, it, uh, it's it's the game that obviously everybody knows. But that's not why you skip it. Um, it's, uh, it's the game with the least control over your hand. Um, you think about it in Omaha, obviously, once the flop comes, your hand is super defined, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you can get away quickly if, if you miss everything. Um, and then in the stud rotations, you know, you've got a lot of information out there. You've got a lot of cards on the table, so you really kind of know where you stand. You may not know whether you have the best hand or not, but you know whether you're in the hunt or not, right? Um, the problem with Hold'em is the let's say you get like an ace-king and raise, which you should, and then the flop comes three unders. Now, you, now you're going to barrel all the way to the end, and somebody's going to call you down with a pair. And so you end up running, uh, losing a lot of um, money on a hand that you can't define as well as you can in the other games. So, you know, I play my big pairs, I play position, I play a couple other hands, but on that, for the most part, I throw away a lot of hold'em hands that I would play if I was playing in a 4-8 hold'em game. Mm-hmm. So get rid of those. Uh, two, you have to steal the blinds and annies, which is going to be a little bit um, contrary to the, the last tip I give, which is the, the big one, 
Um, but you can't be scared to when it folds you on the button in Omaha or hold them to, to raise and try to steal those blinds. Um, or if it folds around to you and it's just a bring in left to uh, pop it there and try to get those handies of blinds because that's going to give you another round round the table. And um, the big thing is is how big how quickly the levels increase, which is the big next tip here, which is definitely to mind your chip stacks and the blinds. So this is something that's happened in every limit tournament I've ever played. I've talked to lots of tournament directors about it. There's really no way for them to fix it. You start out early on, and I'll use the example of this horse event. We started with 12,000 units, and we were starting at uh, 2550 level, I think, with mm-hmm. quarter ante, right? Mm-hmm. So you had a lot of play at the beginning, right? Um, and then um, eventually you get to a point, and, and this happens in every tournament, so you got to figure out when it is. It's usually around the reg break, depending on when it is. But um, you go from being able to splash around to being short stacked. Everybody in the tournament being short stacked. Yeah. Um, and at that point, now you've got to remember that, or start doing the counting of your chips. And now, if you get involved in a hand, especially in one of the stud rotation hands, all your chips could end up in the uh, the pot. Um, and I'm not talking about a crazy three bet, four bet kind of thing. I'm talking just a standard hand where there might be a race on a couple streets and then a call. Um, so you got to every limit, you got to reassess where you are on that and whether how short stack you really are. And once you get to that point, um, now you you can't uh, enter pots light. You've got to come in with the goods so you know when you have those split pairs in stud eight now you have to fold those out you know when you got like those ace four suited ace fours and hold them now you got to fold those out because you can't fade them if you yeah. get in and you get a piece of it because eventually all your chips are going to get in and those aren't great hands to start with and so you might not win them so that's really that's the big thing i've always noticed is hunkering down to that point let everybody else who oblivious to it start firing away and then you, you'll hear this in every one of these tournaments you get down the river like well gosh i only have a bet left i guess i got a call now and they throw it in they lose and they're out right so mm-hmm. the problem is that they hadn't thought about that before the hand started and they're just playing the same way they've been playing for the first four or five levels and realized they didn't have the chips anymore to to make that uh, make that play so there you go class right. missed. very good Come next year and make sure I don't win or make sure Chris <laughs> just makes it to the final table. Find yourself in a situation, your favorite poker room or home game, and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. Comes from Sam Valdemarson. He says he was playing a 1-2 cash game in an underground club. Aw, tisk tisk. Uh, and many people well, are. Let's give him a break. There's no casinos. There, so. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, it says uh, many people are drinking, including one player in this hand. Uh, this guy ha- had had a bit too much to drink and was talking nonstop, not paying too much attention to the game. After it checks around on the river, three players table their hands. The dealer now notices that the drunk guy still has a hand. The player had held his cards in such a way that neither the dealer nor the other two players had realized that he was still in the hand. I was, however, sitting across from him and could clearly see that he had cards the whole hand. He did cover up much of the cards, though. The dealer realizes that the player hadn't put money across the line when calling the turn, and yet he has cards at showdown. Four, the dealer acknowledges that the player had put in money on the flop. The pot is counted and compared to the bet's preflop on the flop and the turn, and it is confirmed that his call on the turn is missing. The dealer admitted that it was her mistake, not realizing the drunk guy's money hadn't gone into the pot. 
The floor eventually rules that drunk guy's hand is dead. I am not sure how I would have ruled if I were the floor. The player didn't try to cheat the pot. He was just too preoccupied with his amazing storytelling. The dealer shouldn't have continued to the flop without making sure the player called and put money in the pot or folded. How would the same situation have been handled had the drunk guy not had the winning hand at showdown? Would he have been forced to put in the turn bet? All right, before we have Amber to answer, I meant to mention this earlier in the show, but this was fantastic. So, you know, remember a couple of weeks ago, I, I uh, reported back from the TDA segment where they uh, now embrace random card theory. So if that seventh street card of stud is flipped up, now it gets shuffled back into the deck and then a new card is dealt out, right? Right. Saw that happen for the first time since that. The same exact card came back to the planet. Wow. And no it was way. A- it was a key card. It was our, our listener, Cameron. He had a pair of 10s on board, and the dealer flipped over a third 10. And he just felt terrible for him because he knew that card was going to go back in and shuffled up. And that's exactly what happened. And and then he uh, they shuffled it. They belt, uh, dealt it out. Cameron bet, turned over the card. I'm like, it's the 10 of diamonds. And he wow, won the box. that's crazy. And then there was a little discussion about whether the other player actually got his destined card, too, because you wouldn't know, right, because they didn't deal it out. But right. uh, that player is like, well, shouldn't I have gotten my card? And they're like, no, it's, it's a random card theory, and you probably – you don't know. You probably got the same card. You could have. <laughs> That's right. You could have. We don't know. I mean, literally, there were only 10 cards left in the deck at that point, so yeah, the chances yeah. of the were pretty high. But anyhow, I thought that was kind of cool. The, yeah, the first, cool. first scenario that I saw like that, it actually worked out. So anyhow, on to uh, Sam's question. Elliot says, uh, this was ruled correctly. Uh, part of protecting your hand is protecting your place in the betting order. The player in question uh, was described by you as holding the cards so that the dealer and two other players couldn't see them. And also as someone who had too much to drink, was talking nonstop and was not paying attention to the game. That definitely sounds like someone that didn't protect their hand at all. By the way, paying attention to the game when you are in the hand is an absolute rule, not merely a suggestion. He said the player didn't try to cheat the pot. They were just preoccupied with something other than the hand of progress. Well, they didn't try to cheat the pot. They successfully cheated the pot, <laughs> just inadvertently. Yeah. You didn't mention the position of the button relative to the drunk player, so I really don't know how many players acted. But the deal of burning and turning counting as a player that acted. The general rule is that once three players have acted past someone that, that hasn't acted or spoken up, the skip player's hand is to be regarded as dead. This rule does not mean that the players that hide their cards in the deal and the other players intentionally or not may have a live hand if three players haven't acted. In most cases, a player hides their cards and doesn't speak up when they are skipped. Their hand should be dead regardless, and that is what uh, was ruled then. Lastly, uh, you said that uh, you noticed that they that they held cards. It would not have uh, been out of bounds to speak up right uh, then when they were skipped by doing the turn betting round. Why didn't you speak up? All players at the table were expected to speak up when they see a mistake being made. It was nice for the dealer to admit fault for not getting that player to act, but the dealer didn't see any cards and therefore correctly didn't try to get that player to act. Dealers are not... Uh, in the habit of reminding players that don't have cards to act on their hands, nor should they be. To summarize, pay attention to the game. Don't hide your cards in the deal and the players and speak up immediately when a mistake is being made. Sounds like a lot of player responsibility that's important here, Chris. Uh, yeah. The other thing, too, is I mean, I don't necessarily think that Sam knew the guy had cards when the bet wasn't made. I think he realized as they got to the river or whatever it was that the guy did have cards, but it's not that he was watching the guy get skipped over and not playing, and then sitting there going, hmm, that guy didn't put any money in. That's not. I don't think that's what Sam was doing. I think Sam 
basically realized afterward when it got to the, the river that he could see the cards and he knew the guy was still in the hand but may not have known that the guy didn't make that bet on the turn. So, I mean, I, don't, I, I agree. I think you should speak up when you see stuff that's wrong, but he didn't necessarily probably notice that it was wrong at that moment. Yeah, I think this is just a scenario where there's so many player errors here, and as Elliot says, it's nice the dealer took the bullet, which doesn't always happen, right? Yeah. Um, uh, but there are so many other players that could have um, uh, taken care of this problem that, uh, again, it was a player error, which is not going to happen when the uh, Carnegie Mellon computer takes over. All. <laughs> hey, we got an O'Malley's move here. Here it comes. Welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are still in that same $1, $2 No Limit Hold'em Casino cash game. We've dipped a little and currently sit with 525. The blinds post, it's folded to an MP who makes the standard $8 raise, and we're in the cutoff with the King of Diamonds, Queen of Diamonds. This hand is a little too strong to fold, but I don't want to raise with it. We call. The button calls. He started the hand with 400 and is a speculative player. He likes to see a lot of flops and then play hard and fast when he hits it good. He can let go of a hand when he feels he's beat. With around $25 in the pot, the flop is intriguing. The 10 of clubs, 4 of diamonds, deuce of diamonds comes down. The MP checks and we make a $15 bet. The button min raises us to $30 and the MP folds. We make the call, and with around $85 in the pot, the turn is the ten of spades. So, we have a diamond draw, but is it possible we could represent a ten? Are we checking here, or betting? What's the move? It's time for the AdvancedPokerTrading.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at andyatmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Vinny from Houston in the house. I uh, wonder where he's playing in Houston. But mm. <laughs> um, He says, I play in a monthly World Series of Poker Club where half the $160 buy-in goes to pay out for that night and the other half goes for a year-long pool for points to get seats in the 2020 World Series of Poker. Oh, always nice. been fun. Nice. Kind of wanted to be in one of these, but then again, I would have to get our home game going again to even mm, yeah. have a chance set up and then have time to go to the World Series. Um, lots of problems. Yeah, yeah. Well, Vinny, have fun with it, right? <laughs> 28 people in tonight's game, and the payout and big points are in the top five places. Blinds are 100, 200, starting stacks were 15,000, up to around 17,000, and they haven't shown down a hand yet. It's been a year since I played in this club, but my past image was tight aggressive. Uh, there have been a few knockouts already. Uh, we are eight-handed at my table, and I'm the in the big blind for 200. Uh, the under-the-gun player, who's a tight, good player, opens for 600. Hijack, who's a tight, aggressive player who's also won circuit rings, calls the 600. Everyone else folds to me, and we have the five of clubs, five of diamonds. Well, I think we'll set mine. We got a decent stack. Well, we got five, five. I'm not going to go crazy and be out of position, you know, and make a raise and have, especially a tight player behind me making that call, too. Um, I think I might call the 400. I mean, there's 12, 13, 14, 1500 in there. I got to do. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, 1500 in there. All I got to do is call four to win 15. So with the set mining, I think it's probably worth it with the uh, implied odds. So I'll just call and see what happens. If I flop a set, maybe or maybe, maybe all unders, I'll stick with it, stick around. But if I don't, I'll just get out to any pressure. 
Yeah, to me, this is kind of a no-brainer. Um, you know, it's it's an easy call. Um, you're not going to fold here. That's that's way too tight. And raising against players, at least the the circuit ring guy who has position, seems to be a little reckless this early in the tournament. So let's just play it. Uh, we haven't shown down any hands yet, so no one really knows who we are. And we haven't been here in a year. I suspect that most players don't even know who we are or forget forgotten how we played. So let's, let's keep the mystery going here. So unless TJ Cloutier is in the field, which is possible, it's in Texas. But uh, that's true. That's true. Other than him, I'm not worried about them knowing my image. All right, our hero does call, and the flop comes uh, the two of hearts, five of hearts, eight of spades. Let's see. Hold on. He said two H five H S eight S. I'm going to guess it's the two hearts, five hearts, eight of spades, as I mentioned. But Okay. So we got pretty wet board. Uh, a lot of straight possibilities are out. People playing suited aces could have nut flush draws. Um, but we have middle set. I feel like I need to bet out. I know it's it's something that um, some people will say, hey, they want to check raise with it and stuff. And a lot of times that's just a beginner's kind of mistake. In this case, if the end of the gun player is a legitimate player, and he raised, he's supposed to have an overpair to this. And if we bet into him, he'd be like, hey, what are you doing taking my pot away from me? I'm the one that was the aggressor, and he might come over the top, he might get all his chips. So I feel like I want to bet into this this guy. Um, I mean, it could be passive and, and whatever, but I feel like the move here, especially with another tight player behind, he can have an overpair. So I feel like one of them is going to want to stand up to us. Now it could be that they got pocket eights and it's hand of the week and that's why we have it. We're gonna get trounced, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna be glad to go out of a tournament with a set on a flop. And if I lose, then hey, it's just one yeah, of those things, right? Yep. Um. So okay. So there's eighteen hundred, nineteen hundred in a pot. I mean, I'm probably gonna probably bet pretty big, make it look like I'm out of line, you know. Uh. So half the pot, maybe a little more than half the pot, like uh, maybe even. 1200 or something like that, maybe 1300, something like that. Somewhere where it's around two thirds, a little more than half, and less than two thirds of the pot, just to make it look like, you know, we're donk betting into them and, and, uh, you know, oh, we have, we have, we're in the, the blinds and we might have hit that eight, you know, and hopefully they'll have something like pocket jacks or queens or kings or something and they come over the top of us. But I just feel like checking and calling, you know, you never know. They might be scared of that board somehow, the hearts, or they may, be scared of the person behind him, and then the person behind him didn't hit it, and then he checks too, and all of a sudden, boom, flush draws and straight draws again, free cards. So I don't mind taking it down either. It's a decent little pot right now in this early part of the tournament, so I'm going to probably bet right out. Yeah, I think that's the the only play here. Um, you know, the check, uh, we risk it being checked around and a bad card coming. Um, I doubt that's going to happen. I doubt some, I expect somebody to bet. But then if we check raise, now we put ourselves in the driver's seat of this, and what happens if a scary card comes on the turn? Now we're going to have to um, bet into it or slow down. If we slow down, then we give up control of the hand and really get pushed around. So um, I think you're right. I think a lot of people are probably going to want to check raise here. I think the best play is that probably that two-thirds of the pot. So mm-hmm. you said 1,500. I would go 1,000, but I'm not opposed to the 1,200 either. Um, and make it look like you know we hit an eight and we want to protect your eight. That's that's the best case scenario. That they think that's what's happening because whatever they're holding, I promise you, it's uh, at least one of the cards is higher than an eight. So <laughs> they're, they're going to feel like uh, they have a chance to catch up to us. So uh, we're still going to get action on this hand, I think. Um, but we're we're putting a pretty big price in there to uh, make those draws uh, pay dearly for. Okay. All right. Um, then he disagrees. He checks. Um, the end of the gun player bets 500. 
And the other player calls, and it's back to us. Well, I, I don't know the reason for checking. So if his intent was to check raise, then we'll do that. Um, if he's convinced that these people aren't on straight and heart draws, then you can let them keep betting into you and walking the dog kind of backwards. I don't know if that's true, but then you could call. <laughs> it just depends on on really your feel of what you think these people have. You know, if the under the gun had a really big hand, he might raise to isolate, and he didn't. Not the under the gun, uh, the, the, the hijack guy. So he might raise to, you know, isolate. And so why would he just call? So he might be drawing. So I'm a little worried about that. So I'm probably going to bet here. I don't like the check raise. I just bet out and get all the chips at once um, if I can. But in this case, yeah, I mean, now you would have made it like 1500 if it was just one guy, another guy calls. So probably around two grand or so I'd probably raise to and see what happens. Yeah, and if somebody's got an overcards, right, they're going to they're gonna shove yeah. on us. So. We, we can't just call here. We Now we put ourselves in the situation where we have to raise and stake our claim in this pot, and then we're just going to have to power through um, if uh, an unfortunate card comes on the turn. But this is why I wanted to bet out. But yeah. at this point, I'm not going to just take the 500 and, and keep playing um, slyly here. Um, I need to, need to let folks know I've got something. So, All right. Well, if any disagrees again, <clears throat> and uh, he just calls, uh, the turn <clears> – <throat> turn. <laughs> we get these frogs in this room. Wow. Jeez. Uh, turn is the eight of hearts. So our board now is a deuce of hearts, five of hearts, eight of spades, eight of hearts. And now it's on us again, and we have uh, boated up. Well, this is interesting because now if you bet out, it looks like you had the eight. And that's going to scare a... Either way. So it actually kind of works out in a lot of ways for us, I think. I don't know. I mean, it, that's the thing. If you check, they might think you had the eight. You know, I mean, that eight's a scare card for people, so I don't know what to do. I don't know. At this point, I might check and hope the person has an eight, and well, that's it. Yeah, we feel better about check-raising now because, <clears throat> you know, we voted up. So, yeah. I mean, it's not the nuts, obviously, so we're still um, vulnerable. Just, yeah. But at least now we don't have to worry. Like, if we were check-raising on the flop, we were worried about a heart coming that wasn't this one, right? So, right, right. Um, or, to some degree, another straight card. Um, so now we've got that protection of having a boat. May not be the best boat, but um, I can feel a little bit better now about check raising here and and barreling out on the river no matter what comes. So that might be a better play because you're right. If we bid out now, um, you know, if no one has hearts, um, you know, or or it looks like we have the eight or the hearts, you know, then we scare me away. Although again, it's still a nice pot. So if that happens, that's fine. But um, we're looking for value here, and probably the value play now is check raise, which I hate doing. But yeah, we're hoping best. that that hijack called because he was drawn to hearts, and now he's got there. Is what we're hoping. Right. And then he bets, and then we can raise, isolate, and then the guy might shove with a nut flush draw or nut flush. I mean, and then we boom, we got him. So it just depends on on who has the draw or who has the. Hopefully, hope somebody has an overpair, and the other guy's got the nut, the flush draw, and then we're we're golden. We might triple up. Um, but yeah, let's check raise. <clears throat> Um, all right. Uh, our hero checks. Um, uh, the middle position player, or the other guy, sorry, checks, and the button bets 1,000. It's back to us now. Yeah, I mean, uh, you could call because um, it looks like the other gun now is scared and may get out. Um, but I don't mind making it three grand now and seeing what this guy has. Hope he has a flush and then take it down, you know, because it might get in the middle after this. All of it might get in the middle, so. I don't mind raising now. I said we're going to check raise, and that's what happened, so let's do it. Yeah, the problem with calling here now is what do you do on the river now? Do you just bet out on the river right. and hope 
get called. Um, maybe not. Um, you can't check the river because he likely will check behind. You don't get value. So this is really our chance to get value now. So if he folds, again, it's a nice pot, and we weren't going to get much more out of anybody anyhow. So uh, but this is our opportunity, I think. So um, you're raising a 3000 Yeah. I'm raising a 3000 That's what Vinny does, too. So okay. fine. All is right in the universe. I'm going to play folds. Player two asks how much and calls. So now we go to the river. Um, let's see. <coughs> hmm. Doesn't say what the river card was. Oh, uh, river card must be a nine of some sort. So our final board is deuce of hearts, five of hearts, eight of spades, eight of hearts, nine of something. <laughs> right, which doesn't matter. And, and is on us. All right. Well, if he called, that's three. It's six. I mean, I don't know. I'm probably shoving. I mean, how much I've got? There's six, uh, and then fifteen. So that's seventy five hundred plus the original, basically two and ninety five hundred. I only have what three and thirty five. So I mean, I only ha- yeah. I'm just shoving. Yeah, with the stack now. Yeah, we put more than half our stack in already, right? So yeah, yeah. Yep. Rough, roughly. Well. All right. Uh, here it says my plan was to bet uh, five or six thousand on the river, so I bet six thousand. Uh, he says, but here's where things get strange. Um, he bets one thousand out of turn. Yeah. It's like I know he's an, an experienced player, so I think he may be trying to block with a flush or a small boat. So I stick to my plan to bet six thousand, and he immediately goes all in for twelve thousand. Yeah, I, I can't fold. I mean, it's impossible to fold. You have no chips left. You've got all that money invested, and you have a full house. The guy has. You know, quad eights or eight nine, then you know, and it's possible he's going to have eight nine. Um, but uh, yeah, I can't fold. There's no way. Plus, what do you have left? I mean, we we didn't have more than half our pot before that bet, but half our stack. I mean, but it's once yeah. you're going to bet six, it's wait. You're going to have nothing left. So, yeah, I'm I'm calling. All right, here it says I tank for about three minutes. I have some experience with this player, and he rarely puts himself at risk early in the tournament. And I have I have even seen him check down or just call the second nuts in different situations. I don't think he has eight deuce or eight five, but he could have eight eight or eight nine. Ultimately, not wanting to be a short stack and thinking he may have deuce deuce or a flush in his range, I call. He tables eight nine of clubs, and I'm out. Yeah. And he says, uh, him betting the 1,000 out of turn in the river made me think for a second it might be a blocker bet to see showdown with a flush or small boat. But then when he raised, re-raised all in, I think I was too committed to fold. I think I should have waited longer before I immediately raised the 6K on the river. But even uh, then, do I just call 1K in that situation, or is the raise the correct play? Now, uh, Vinny and I have gone back and forth several emails on this. I think uh, what I would have done was check on the river after he bet out of turn and – uh, limited the damage to 1k now of course we're looking back now where we lost but um, there was a lot of danger on this board and so when we when the guy bets out for a thousand and then we bet more now we open it up for him to raise which is exactly what happened here if we just check he's forced to bet that 1000 and that's what happened so we're still going to win a big pot right because that was like what 16,000 at that point if we would have just called the thousand yeah Sixteen, seventeen thousand, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think we are losing a lot of value there, because um, again, we had the third nuts on this board, right? So um, 
versus the danger we have by reopening the betting by betting more than he did so he could uh, now that he knows that we're willing to commit 6000 maybe we're willing to commit 12000 and we were right yeah. so yeah um <laughs> so Benny didn't like that and I get it so I don't know whether that's uh, that's correct or not and and maybe I'm being influenced by the fact that we lost his hand but um I was kind of curious what was going on with this guy at this point. You know, it could very well could have been a flush, but a good player has circuit rings, is very cautious, doesn't get excited about a flush on a paired board, right? So um, I, I would have been uh, at least uh, raising an eyebrow at what, what he might have had here, and if he was willing to, to let me get to the river for a 1000 bucks and take down a big pot, um, I think that was preferable to getting um, raised and knocked out of this tournament. Am I the only one that thinks a thousand is a fishy bet anyway? I mean, Super fishy, seriously, right? the pot was huge, and you put a thousand out. I mean, you know, that's only that's only a double of what they put out on the turn after a bunch of money got or on the flop after a bunch of money got put out in between on the turn, and it's like the pot's pretty big for what one sixteenth of a pot or whatever the hell whatever the hell it was. Yeah. It's just, well, I think that's what. He was saying he was thinking it was fishy for a different reason. I think he was thinking it was fishy because he just wanted to get the show down cheaply and and hope that his flush was good. Whereas I think we're looking at a fishy in the way that hey, I'm just trying to get some value out of this uh, this hand that I I, I I he was confident he won. I'm like he can't put us on uh, the case eights at that point, right? So, um, uh, actually not even the case eight. I mean he had the nuts, right? He had eight nine, so yeah, we could have had eight nine two. But um, right. <clears throat> the scary thing to me is that this guy, if it's possible, that this guy has a brain that could have put all of that, processed all of that together, and put that game plan together that quickly and done it intentionally to make the guy, you know, what I mean, because then he's not getting value for his hand either. He's got pretty much the nuts, uh, except for pocket nines. And so it's like, okay, how does this guy put yeah. all of that together and then know to bet a thousand? You know, at the end, and and cut us off, knowing that he can only make a thousand if he if we decide to be smart about it and check and call. Whereas, you know, he should have just let us do what we were gonna do, knowing he has basically the mortal nuts. So why would he have made? So he made a mistake somewhere, and I don't think, I don't know. I, it's such a weird thing. I feel like this guy made it was an honest mistake, and uh, I think that the right thing to do would have been to bet out. I don't think. Uh, Vinny had any inkling that he was beat at that point. It- oh no, no, I no, yeah. So we're talking about two different things here now. So if he, if our opponent had not bet out a turn, right, the the six thousand bet is exactly what I probably would have made. Or I mean, I, you're right, I would have shoved. <clears throat> So I think right. only at seventy five hundred, right? So I mean, there's no reason to leave Bosfair behind. So, so had he not been out, <clears throat> um, I'm definitely um, bit feeling really good about my hand, and um, I'm shoving at that point with right. the amount we have versus the fact that he bet out a turn, though, is what, what is, I think need we need to reassess what we need to do then. So, and then he actually took three minutes to think about it, which is fantastic. So we can't criticize him for not taking his time and thinking it through. But I think at that point, I would wonder why this guy is betting a thousand. And I don't think my first thought would have been what Vinny's thought was, is that he was trying to get the show down cheaply with a inferior hand. I think um, it was that, you know, he, he might have pipped us, which he did at the end, and was just trying to get value out of something. It is a really weird bet. Yeah. Uh, super fishy bet. Um, but fishy enough that it would have worked. And, um, you know, I, I would have been fine betting that thousand and winning that pot rather than the six thousand and having him call an extra five thousand. I mean, I, I want that extra five thousand. Don't get me wrong, but the chances of him having 
one of these hands that beats us and raising us, which is what he did, I think outweighs the benefit of getting that extra 5,000, particularly this early in the tournament. I mean, like, we're, I forget where we were, like 100, 200 or something? Yeah, yeah, 100, 200. Super early in this tournament. So that, that 5,000 is not as important to me now as it will be later on. Um, and it's certainly not as important as getting knocked out of this tournament. So yeah. this early. So, so to me, if that guy's going to make a mistake, he's going to bet 1,000. I've got third nuts, or third and maybe fourth nuts, right? Um, I'm, I'm fine just calling this a thousand, I'm not giving him the option of, of eliminating me from this, and 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 overall, which we ended up being, I mean, we still would have had sixty five hundred, right? Yeah, um, one hundred, two hundred. We still got play to come back, um, you know, um, but instead we're out of this tournament. So, well, the good news, Vinny, is you made the show, <laughs> and uh, and I would have gone broke too, so. That's that's all I got to say about that. I'm Chris Casenza, and I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Antiup is a production of AntiupMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at AntiupMagazine.com or call our hotline at two zero six three three eight six three four four. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.